Now, as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Bob Wold, who is one of the leaders of our Celebrate Recovery Ministry for Teens, known as The Landing. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face, He fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Can't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same things. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered unto the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Bob. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, something I experienced uh, two weeks ago, where you look at some photos, and you think, this doesn't tell the whole story of what's really going on there. See, a couple weeks ago, I had a memory pop up on my phone through my Google app, and it it said, hey, here's where you were two years ago today. And it was our family trip to Disney World. And so the, the five of us in our family, we went to Disney World and had a great time. And, you know, the pictures show a lot of smiles and laughter and fun and joy and, you know, kids going on rides and meeting characters and all this different things. And so it's easy to look and, and think about the good times in that, but it definitely does not tell the whole picture. It doesn't talk about the, the tears that were experienced on this trip, the sorrow And I'm not just talking about tears from trying to get three kids across the country to, you know, another place and a whole day of theme parking. But really, every night we would put the kids to bed and my wife and I would stay up and just cry and pray um, and ask where, (laughs) being serious on this one though, but uh, (laughs) for different reasons, but we would would pray because we were were wondering how we were going to take the next step forward. See, what happened is we actually took this trip as a spur of the moment thing because the previous month leading up to this had been one of great sorrow and grief for us. It had been a time of great pain and, and, and hurt. And it was a time where every day we were in tears and praying and saying, God, what's your plan? And praying for a miracle that ultimately didn't come the way we wanted it to come. And so we looked at the, you know, can look at these pictures and say, yeah, this, this is truth, but there's, there's something that's deeper hidden beneath the surface. And that's true for many of us. We have these moments of grief and sorrow and hurt, 
And, and oftentimes we don't know what to do with it. And sometimes we cover it up or sometimes we just keep it to ourselves or we just go into hiding and we don't let anyone see it, which then leads to everyone else again feeling alone in those moments. Maybe you're going through something like that right now. Maybe you're going through a moment of grief. Maybe it's a loss of a relationship, the loss of a loved one. Maybe the doctor is called with some bad news and you're dealing with that pain of that. Maybe it's a financial burden. You lost a job or, or somehow there's an extra added amount of finances or, or, or a loss of income and you're just trying to process through how are we gonna pay the bills? How are we gonna keep the house? Whatever it may be. Maybe it's just the normal stress and anxiety of the world and you're looking around, you're seeing the brokenness of the world and it's just weighing heavily on you. Where do we go in these moments? What do we do with that? Well, so often we feel alone and we feel trapped in our sorrow and our grief. And I wanna start this morning by reminding us, reminding every one of you that you are not alone in this. As a matter of fact, in a room this size, there are not only people who love you and care about you, but also there are probably people in this very room who have experienced something similar to what you have experienced or are experiencing right now. And even if that's not the case, or maybe that's not the comfort that you need, we have a God who loves us so deeply, who is present with us in our pain, but also who has experienced every pain, sorrow, grief, and hurt that we have experienced as well. Jesus stepped down from eternity to be an example, to be our savior, but also to experience what we have experienced so that we know that we do not have a God who cannot empathize with us, but one who has experienced the same kind of grief and hurt that we have. See, we're in a series called The Passion and we're looking at the Passion Week, which is the final week of Jesus' life. It was a time of the, it was the Passover week in the time of Jesus. And we see a great deal of passion coming out from Jesus and from the people that he in, interacts with. As a matter of fact, on the very first day as he entered on the first day of Passover, he entered as the King, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And as he entered into the city, the people had a great deal of passion and excitement. They shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. But he came in an unexpected way as the lamb of God who would sacrifice himself for us. And so then as he entered Jerusalem, we saw a great deal of passion come out. And last week, Dave talked about Jesus' anger. And if you missed that, go back and listen to it on our website, cccnow.com. But I thought Dave did a great job of kind of laying out Jesus' righteous anger and what we do in our anger, but also understanding why he was angry. I also really appreciated the fact that, he, that Dave mentioned that, you know, sometimes in the lobby, we sell things and you don't need to flip over those tables. Because I'm not going to lie, when I was younger, like, you know, 22, um, I first heard this story and uh, it was earlier than 22, just kidding. Um, but anyways, but I first heard this story and, and, and I remember being in our church lobby and thinking as a kid, like seeing, seeing them sell like CDs of the worship band or some books or something. And I remember like being like, I should do this, right? Like this is what Jesus is calling me to. No, that is not the case in those moments. Um, but we saw Jesus' anger come out last week. And today we're gonna to see a different type of emotion, a different passion of Jesus in his sorrow and his grief. And so what I want us to understand is that we are going to see uh, what Jesus did with his grief and sorrow that might help us in our own moments of grief, but we're also gonna look at why he was experiencing so much pain. 
Why was Jesus hurting so bad? Because it is ultimately for our benefit to understand that. So we want to understand properly what Jesus did for us. So let's dive into Matthew chapter 26. We are skipping ahead a few days and several chapters in the book of Matthew. We just don't have time to cover everything. So hopefully you are doing your devotionals, which is going through a little bit more of the Passion Week and the final week of Jesus' life. But verse 36 of Matthew 26 says this. So then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So Matthew draws our attention to the location that Jesus is in. He's gone to Gethsemane, which is a garden at the base of the Mount of Olives. Remember, the Mount of Olives was the place that Jesus descended um, in, during the triumphal entry to get to Jerusalem. And so he is in a garden, and we should be thinking about gardens in Scripture. Gardens in the Bible are often places of human flourishing and blessing. You think of the very first garden, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve experienced perfect unity with one another, perfect relationship with all of creation, and perfect relationship with God. It was a place of human flourishing and blessing. And when sin entered, they were removed from that place to experience some of the hardships of the world. But you fast forward and you skip to the very end of the story. In Revelation chapter 22, we see that there is a new garden city, the new Eden, that we get to experience where we will again live in those perfect relationships with one another, with God, and with all of creation as we rest in his glory for all of eternity. And so it's interesting here that we find Jesus in a garden where he will experience a great deal of pain and sorrow and hurt. And what we should be paying attention to is that in Jesus' grief and sorrow, we will find our own blessing and flourishing. And so in the garden, we will find humanity's flourishing and blessing because of what Jesus is willing to do. We also are going to see a contrast between Jesus in this garden and Adam and Eve in the very first garden. Adam and Eve in the very first garden were experiencing that perfection but then along came Satan and began to tempt them by saying, hey, do you even know what God really said? Do you know what his will is? And honestly, is it good? Shouldn't you just do what makes you feel good? Shouldn't you give in to what looks good and feels good and what just makes you powerful and makes you like God? And they gave in to that sin. And so in Genesis, we find that the very first Adam fell. But in, here in Matthew, we're going to see that the second Adam, the true Adam, stands up to temptation and says, not as I will, but as the Father wills. His will be done. And so we'll look a little closer at how Jesus walks through his moments of grief here, down in verse 37. It says, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So right here we see that Jesus is experiencing an emotion that we've all experienced. That he's having sorrow, trouble, pain, hurt. He's feeling that grief in this moment. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews would tell us that we do not have a high priest in Jesus who cannot empathize with us, but we have one who can empathize with us because he has experienced everything that we have experienced. And so here we see Jesus going through some of the normal phases of life. We see on display the humanity of Jesus. And I want to remind us that Jesus is fully God, and fully man. Both natures exist at the same time in the person of Jesus. 
He is fully God and fully man. And so here's one of these passages where we see his humanity on display for us. So he's sorrowful and troubled, but it goes beyond just kind of a normal moment of sorrow, of pain, of grief. It says, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So there is a great deal of suffering that Jesus is experiencing. He says he's overwhelmed to the point of death. In Luke's gospel, we will see that Jesus is actually sweating drops of blood, which is actually a a real medical condition that can come from moments of stress and anxiety. I would tell you what it is, but I can't pronounce it and I'm not going to try. Google it. You can look it up yourself. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So we see that Jesus is in a great deal of pain, but what is causing this pain? What's causing this hurt? Well, it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And so here we see the cause of the suffering of Jesus. It's placed in the cup. But before we get to the cup and really understand what that means, I want to acknowledge that on the surface of this passage, Jesus does some things that might help us when we experience grief and sorrow in our own lives. First of all, he brought along some community. He had a few people, three of them specifically, that he really brought into the inner circle that he would reveal what was going on with them. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone and we need other people. And so when you have these moments of sorrow, when you have these moments of grief, of pain, don't try and handle it on your own. God didn't create us to handle it on our own. And he's given us community, this community, so that we can have people who can walk alongside us, can be there to be the shoulder to cry on and help us through our pain and our hurt. Now, another thing that Jesus does, though, is that he does take time by himself. He takes time to get away from everything. And just to be with the Father, it's okay to have some moments where you say, hey, listen, I just need to be alone for a little bit. I need to put everything else on hold, and I just need to take some time to be away from it all. And what does he do in that time? He feels the grief and the sorrow. Christians, I'm going to be honest, a lot of times when one of us experiences grief and sorrow, we don't do a very good job of helping them through it. See, because we have the Christian answer, which is truth— And it might be the right answer, but the right answer at the wrong time is the wrong answer, right? And so sometimes in our grief, what happens is we find someone who's grieving, we find someone who's experiencing sorrow and pain, and we go to them and we say, hey, it's for God's glory. It's going to be okay because God has something better waiting for you. Are these truths? Yes. Are they comforting? Rarely. Like if you've been in the midst of those moments and we're trying to say, hey, don't feel that grief. Don't feel that sorrow because God's got something better. Jesus is experiencing grief and sorrow. He's allowing himself to feel this. This is a moment that is clearly for God's glory. This is a moment that will be redeemed. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to come back. He's going to ascend and be at the right hand of the Father. And yet he allows himself to feel grief and emotion. This isn't the only time, by the way. There's the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and uh, Lazarus passes away. 
And we know that Jesus will ultimately go and call him back to life. He will bring him back from the grave. But the moment when Jesus is told that Lazarus is dead, we get the shortest verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. He's going to bring him back from the grave. This is certainly a moment that's for God's glory. And yet he weeps. He feels the sorrow. He feels the pain. He feels the hurt. It would have been so easy for Jesus to be like, yeah, I know. Watch what I'm going to do. But no, he experienced that emotion. It's okay to feel grief. It's okay to feel sorrow. There are things in life that should cause that in us. And it's okay to walk through that. I want to also offer a a practical thing that our church offers. We have a a class um, called Grief Share that happens on a fairly regular basis here at Christ Community. So if you have, especially if you've lost a loved one, if you're going through moments of grief, I would encourage you to jump on our website and find when the next Grief Share class will be and get signed up for that. It's an amazing resource for you. We also see here that Jesus went away and that he prayed. He spent time going to God and trusting the Father, knowing that he couldn't do this on his own. And so we need to be in prayer as well because life is hard and we need God's strength. And he prays this prayer. He says, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. So this cup is what is causing the grief and the sorrow of Jesus. Now, there's a a, a bunch of things we could look at with Jesus and say, oh, that's causing grief. He's going to the cross, right? He's going to have nails placed in his hands, nails placed in his feet, a crown of thorns placed on his head. This is after he'll be whipped, he'll be beaten, he'll be mocked, he'll be made fun of, and then he will hang on the cross until he suffocates to death. Not to mention that this comes because one of his disciples, one of his followers, one of his friends betrays him. One of his closest friends will deny him three times and all his followers are going to scatter. That's enough to feel a great deal of sorrow and grief. And while Jesus' pain is that, it's more than that as well. And it has to do with this cup. See, the cup symbolically in scripture represents one of two things. The first is the cup of blessing. We see that in something like Psalm 23. We see the cup of blessing. I don't think that's what Jesus was asking to be removed from him in this moment, right? Like I don't think Jesus is praying and being like, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed by how much you love me and all the blessings you're pouring out on me, Father. So if you could just like stop smothering me with love, that'd be great. So we look to the other cup, which is the cup of God's wrath. And we see this all throughout scripture, Isaiah 51, Revelation 14, uh, Ezekiel 23. We find these places where the cup of wrath is talked about. And this is the cup that Jesus knows that he is going to drink from. And he's going to do it on our behalf. See, the Bible makes it clear that all have sinned. That means every person in here, everyone watching online, every person who's not paying attention, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. See, God hates sin and he will punish sin because he is a just God. And so he will judge sinners and will punish sin. His wrath will be poured out on sin because sin is an offense to a holy God, is rebellion against him. And there is nothing that we can do on our own to satisfy the wrath of God. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of church attendance, no amount of tithe checks. Like we cannot do it on our own. And so the only way for the wrath of God to be satisfied 
was through the sacrifice of the one perfect spotless lamb, the son of God, the person of Jesus Christ. And so while Jesus is going to the cross and going to experience the physical pain of dying on a cross, he will also experience the spiritual pain of dealing with the full weight of the wrath of the Father. That is the cup he is drinking on our behalf so that we can drink from the cup of God's blessing instead. And so this is why Jesus is experiencing pain. And I want us to see how it leads to our flourishing and blessing with the four cups that we drink from as Christians. So every Christian will have these four cups. The first one is this, the cup of salvation. The cup of salvation. See, Jesus took our place in death so that we could experience life. So that we could experience life to the full. So that we could experience life eternally. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us this. In talking about Jesus, it said, first he, again, being Jesus, said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you, being the Father, did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And so what Hebrews is acknowledging is there's all these Old Testament laws that talk about sin offerings and guilt offerings and and, and sacrifices that had to be made when the people of God sinned and, and lived in disobedience to him. But the thing is, when you look at the Old Testament, you see that these sacrifices had to be made over and over and over and over and over again because they were never enough. And really the point of the law in the Old Testament, the point of these sacrifices was to remind us that we can't do this on our own. That no amount of sacrifice from our behalf or offering from us is enough to satisfy the payment that we owe. And so we need something else. And this is where Hebrews 10 verse 9 says, Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, only through the cross of Jesus Christ is our penalty fully and completely once and for all paid for. And so Jesus takes the cup of wrath so that we can receive the cup of salvation. Now there is a cup that we have to deal with that is a little bit more challenging and it is the cup of suffering. Christians, the Bible doesn't try and pretend that you become a Christian and everything is good and you have no problems in life. No, all throughout scripture, as a matter of fact, every book of the New Testament will tell you that suffering is to be expected as a follower of Christ. Not just because we live in a broken and sinful world, but also because as Christians, we live differently than the rest of the world. And so we will suffer, but we don't suffer without hope. We suffer remembering our salvation. We suffer remembering that Jesus suffered for us and he is with us in our suffering so that when we are suffering, we can look forward to life. See, we look forward to Revelation 21, which tells us that there will be a day where God will wipe away every tear where there will be no more pain, there will be no more hurt, there will be no more heartache. And we will be in complete and perfect joy with him in his glory for all the rest of eternity. All things will be redeemed, all things will be made new. So while yes, we take the cup of suffering, it is a different suffering than the world experiences apart from Christ. Can I be honest? I don't know how non-Christians do it. Because in my own personal suffering, If I didn't know Jesus, I don't think I'd wake up the next day. 
I don't think I'd be able to step out of the door. There's too much pain and hurt to handle on our own. But with Christ, we have hope. And so here in verse 40, back in Matthew chapter 26, this is what happens. It says, then he returned to his disciples and, and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. By the way, let's be honest, moment of truth. How many of you would fall asleep after trying to pray for an hour? Okay, a lot of truthful people in here. Some of you are lying. That's okay. God forgives you. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, God allows us to drink from the cup of strength. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of what he drank from the cup of wrath, we receive the cup of strength. We have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God dwelling within us. And he leads and guides us and gives us strength to handle things that we can't handle on our own. To do things that we can't do on our own. To live the life that God has called to that is not possible on our own. See, sometimes we try and handle our grief and our sorrow, our hurt, our pains. We try and fight through temptations. We try and live the life that God has called us to do. We try and do it on our own. And so often we fail. And it leaves us feeling like a failure and wondering, am I good enough? And the answer is no, we're not. But the good news is that we don't have to be good enough. Because it's not about what we do. It's about what has been done for us. And so being a follower of Christ is not going to happen on your own strength. But if you trust God's plan, you trust his timing, you trust his will, you trust his spirit moving in you, you trust his word and his promises, then through him, the spirit will provide you the strength to make it through, to do what he has called you to do. And so God provides us the cup of strength and he provides us the cup of strength to deal with the fourth cup, which we see here down in verse 47. 42, sorry. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And so Jesus, three times, says, man, Father, I, I don't want to have to deal with this cup. I don't want to have to drink from this cup. I don't know how I'm going to do this. But ultimately, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so where Adam and Eve in the first garden failed because they chose their will over the Father's, Jesus succeeds because he says, no, Father, not as I will, but your will be done. See, Jesus chooses to drink from the cup of surrender, and this is the cup that we need to drink from as well, that we get to drink from as well. Yes, it can be hard. It can be challenging. As a matter of fact, at the very end of those verses, Jesus says, rise, let us go and face my betrayer. He doesn't say, let us fight my betrayer. Let's try and hide from him. Let's run away. No, he knows what the betrayer is coming to do, and he knows where he is headed. And he's saying, hey, it's clear that this is the Father's will for me. 
And so while this is going to be challenging and this is causing me great sorrow and grief to the point of death, to the point of sweating, drops of blood, Jesus says, not as I will, but your will be done. And so he lays out the example for us as followers of Christ to drink from the cup of surrender. To say, God, not as I will, but your will be done in every area of my life. In my pain, in my hurt, in my joy, in my sorrow, in my grief, in my love, in everything. I give it all to you. I give my relationships to you. I give my finances to you. I give my life to you, my will to you, my desires to you. And Christians, this is so opposed to our culture. Our culture says, do what makes you feel good. Live your best life. Look inside yourself and find your truth, your happiness. And Jesus says, no, not as I will, but your will be done. Christians, that's what we are called to. And because of the spirit moving in us, we can actually surrender our lives to him. And so while yes, this is going to lead to moments of pain and sorrow, there's gonna be some suffering along the way. We also know that we walk with the strength of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us in every step of the process. And so we can surrender ourselves to him. And here's the good news that the scripture promises. When we surrender ourselves to Jesus, trusting in his plan, Psalm 30 verse five gives this promise. Highlight it, circle it, memorize it. It says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And nowhere is that more evident than in the Passion Week. Because on Friday, Jesus was crucified. But on Sunday, he is risen. And so hold on to the hope that is in Jesus. Surrender your lives to him. Trust in him for our strength as we go through moments of suffering, knowing that eventually we will get to experience salvation and eternity where we experience life and life of the full, life in perfect harmony with God in all of his glory. Look forward to that. And so while morning may stay for the, the day, rejoicing comes in the morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks truth to us. Truth about who we are and what we're going to face in this life. Truth about your son and the gift that he is to us. And the example that he sets for us. And how to live in complete surrender and submission to you how to live in moments of grief and moments of pain. So God, whatever we're facing, if we're down in the valley or we're, God, facing these high mountains, would we completely and totally trust you? Would we submit ourselves to you, surrender our life to you? God, would you give us strength to face today? Would you give us strength to face tomorrow, to glorify you in every moment, no matter what we're experiencing? God, as we suffer, let us suffer well remembering that there is hope and salvation, that tomorrow comes and rejoicing comes in the morning. That for three days, your son was buried in the grave, but on Sunday, he rose again, conquering the grave, conquering death, so that we can rejoice in the promise and the hope of life. So God, help us to remember who you are, the promises that you have for us, and completely and totally trust you and surrender our lives to you. God, thank you for Jesus, for the price that he paid for us, for the cup that you drank from 
so that we can receive the cup of blessing, of life, of salvation. Thank you, Father. We love you and pray these things in your son's name. Amen.